This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. began to grow I hadn't got to my first shave before the body blow Egyptians in the courtyard my family in chains you witnessed our abduction which possibly explains how I know you how I know That fateful morning My family enjoyed A privileged existence For my father was employed As advisor to the king no less Which surely rings a bell For as you are his daughter You probably can tell How I know you Say is better left unknown And now I'm just a slave like you Our lives are not our own I never have abandoned And nor I think could you That spark of hope for freedom No terror can subdue My only hope is silence You've never seen my face no, you remain a princess in any time or place. You don't know me. Yes, I know you. You don't know me. How I know you. How I know you. G'day theatre nerds, welcome backstage with Mel and Mike, kindly brought to you by Free FM and Creative Waikato. That track was How I Know You Before I Let You Jump In, sorry Mike. <laughs> <laughs> How I Know You from our Musical of the Week. Aida. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome and thrice welcome. We are a couple of theatre nerds in Hamilton, New Zealand, not the only ones, but we're a couple of them. And Two if you them. want to catch up on everything you've missed in our episode so far, there's a whole lot. All you have to do is type backstage with Mel and Mike into your search bar for your favourite podcast streaming app and you'll probably find us sitting there waiting. Almost definitely will find us. Uh, as we mentioned, Musical of the Week is Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida, which I say on purpose because it is actually titled Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida. It had to because when you first mentioned Aida, um, those of us of a certain vintage are most likely to think of Jim Green or Giuseppe Verdi's uh, opera of the same name. Yeah, it is based on that. Yeah, I know. But I think it's pretty ballsy of um, Elton John and Tim Rice to think, you know what? 
We could rewrite one of the most famous operas of all time and do it even better. Well, it was Disney, don't you know? Oh. Disney went, how do we recreate The Lion King? Oh. And they saw it. you did a good job on Lion King. Yeah. We'll wheel you out again. Yep. And Lion King had, and little did they know, I think, at the time that it was going to be the massive success that it's been today. Mm. But even just the animated film was a raging success. So why wouldn't... Because that's originally what they wanted, was to turn it into an animated film. Uh, well, you've given me that little bit of extra insight that I was looking for. Are you hooked? Are you okay. hooked? Yeah, in that case, I'm waiting with bated breath to see what you're going to tell us about Aida a bit later. Yes, um, I am going to do just that. We're playing the original Broadway cast recording today featuring Adam Pascal, Heather Headley, and Cherie Renee Scott. It's actually one of those uh, shows, Aida, that when it comes up, you think, oh, of course, that'll be a great show to talk about. Mm. Um, but it never actually... Get well, for me, it's never come to the forefront. I've, I've never, never thought, oh, yeah. let's do that this week. No, neither. So how come? Why are we doing it this week? Uh, I, I was just scrolling through my Spotify playlist, if I'm being honest. I went, why haven't we done Aida? <laughs> and here we go. We are here. Plus? Oh, that's right. Jono. Jono Freeban, our mate. I played him a track from it the other day, and he'd never heard of it either. And okay. he was like, why don't I know this? And I was like, well, you should. And he said, <laughs> you should feature this as your musical of the week. Okay. And I was like, okay, we will. Fair enough. Jono, you rubbed the magic lamp, so you get one <laughs> wish, and this is it. It's our command. We have Aida for you, especially. And Mel will be bringing us all the juice in just a little while. But we've got a few things to do before that. It has been a wee while, actually. Quite a while. Mm, quite a while. <laughs> Since we did a play of the day. I like just peppering it in there every now and then. Yeah. That's why we're bringing you everything you need to know right now about the 1963 Tony Award winning play, Who is Afraid of... Well, it's actually Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is actually a play by Edward Albee, first staged in October of 1962, and it examines the complexities, that's pretty good mildly, <laughs> of the marriage of a middle-aged couple, Martha and George. Late one night, after a university faculty party, they receive an unwitting younger couple, Nick and Honey, as guests for the evening and draw them into their bitter and frustrated relationship and expose them to the worst aspects of their lives together. It's brilliant. Well, I think Receive is putting it nicely as well. Mm. Uh, Martha actually invites them back to her place, their place. She's hey, for reasons. Why don't you come over? Yeah. <laughs> um, the play is in three acts, normally taking a little less than three hours to perform, with two ten-minute intermissions. The title is a pun on the song "Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf" from Walt Disney's Three Little Pigs, substituting the name, obviously, of the celebrated English author Virginia Woolf. "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf" won both the 1963 Tony Award for Best Play and the 1962-63 New York Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Play, and the film adaptation was. Was released uh, just a few years later, actually, 1966, written by Ernest Lamon, uh, directed by Mike Nichols, and starring Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, George Seagull, and Sandy Dennis. And I, it is a classic. I hear that the movie's not as good as the play. The movie, you've got to really, you got to sit down in the mood to actually watch it. It is the performances from Taylor and Burton are astounding. Mm. Elizabeth Taylor, in particular, she just owns the whole thing yeah she is totally on fire some say that uh the takes that were used for the film are almost her almost out of control with the character she got so invested in it right right and her and burton of course their relationship was (laughs) well how many parallels with (laughs) almost with this they uh they really just let it all go and um george siegel and um sandy dennis (laughs) almost why were they there yeah right Um, but yeah, it's a great bit of cinema and a great 
examination of some really good celluloid acting. Yeah, I okay. highly recommend you view it. If Have you can. seen it live? Uh, no, I've never seen it play. I came perilously close to being in it once. Yes. I was invited to play George in a production some years ago, which never got off the ground. And um, I was kind of glad in the end because it is so much text. Yeah. The speeches are so complex. And yeah. It's a, it's a, big a really play. difficult play. In one sense, I really was keen to do it for the challenge mm-hmm. but I thought gosh it'd be so easy to mess it up and it's such a long play as you've mentioned almost three hours yeah almost that's yeah. a big slog every night it's, it's a big job okay to dive straight into the good stuff now act one is titled fun and games George is an associate professor of history and Martha is the daughter of the president of the college where George teaches after their return home as Mike said from a faculty party Martha reveals that she has invited the young couple that she met at the party over for a drink the guests arrive Nick a biology professor and his wife Honey as the four drink Martha taunts George aggressively and he retaliates with his usual passive aggression Nick and Honey become increasingly unsettled and at the end of the act, Honey runs to the bathroom to vomit having had too much to drink. Traditionally, Walpurgisnacht is the name of an annual witches' meeting, in German obviously, but in this case it is actually the title of Act 2. Nick and George sit outside talking about their wives, as you do. (laughs) Nick says Honey had a, quote, hysterical pregnancy, and after they rejoin the women in the house, Martha and Nick dance suggestively. Martha also reveals the truth about George's creative writing escapades. He had apparently tried to publish a novel about a boy who accidentally killed both of his parents with the implication that the deaths were actually murder. But Martha's father would not let it be published. And in Act 3, The Exorcism, Martha and George argue about whether the moon is up. George insists that it is, while Martha says she saw no moon from the bedroom. This leads to a discussion in which Martha and George insult Nick in tandem and an argument revealing that Nick was too drunk to have sex with Martha upstairs. It's really wonderful the way this switches and and they go from being a couple sniping at each other to turning on the others and uh, just the dynamics of the whole thing are really amazing. Anyway, I digress. At the end of the play, George informs Martha that a messenger from Western Union arrived at the door earlier with a telegram saying that their son was, quote, killed late in the afternoon on a country road with his learner's permit in his pocket and that he swerved to avoid a porcupine. Eventually it becomes clear to the guests that George and Martha's son is a mutually agreed upon fiction. The fictional son is a final game the two have been playing since discovering early in their marriage that they are infertile. George has decided to kill the fictional son because Martha broke the game's single rule never mention him to others. Overcome with horror and pity, Nick and Honey decide to leave. Martha suggests they could invent a new imaginary child, but George forbids the idea, saying it was time for the game to end. The play finishes with George singing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf to the tune of Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf from the Disney animated film. He sings it to Martha, whereupon she replies, I am George. I am. Oh, I love that. That that line alone makes me really want to say it. Mm. Uh, the thing that makes this play com- so compelling is that there are so many demons that this couple is wrestling with that surface through the course of the play. It's you, like you sort of already mentioned. It's a brilliant, dazzling, funny, not funny train wreck. Yeah, it, it's tragic on so many levels, but it is compelling. Mm. Uh, but you do have to be in the mood to see it. It's not something you could just think, oh, I wonder what that's about. Just put that on. you kind of got to be prepared for it because it is a very demanding uh, play 
for both the performers and the audience to sit through that and to be engaged with it. It, it takes an awful lot out of people who have um, performed in it that I know. Yeah, right. People that have done those roles. Um, I guess that's not surprising, actually. No, it's a very emotional, um, as you say, roller coaster to go on. Yeah. And, it, and it, um, if you want to do it well and do it honestly, it does take a, a lot of emotional effort. Mm. Yeah, hats off to anyone that has tackled it in the past. It is quite often done in a more abridged form, so that it comes down to about two hours. But you've got to sacrifice a lot of text in order to get it down that far. Well, sometimes you know you come perilously close to actually messing up the context. Yeah, I was just going to say that you come, you're sort of starting to mess with the writer's art, then, Mm. aren't you? It's kind of shocking to when you realise that it was initially produced in the 1960s because uh, the language in it is, uh, oh, what's the term, pretty salty. Salty, yep. Yeah, but it's an incredible dig through a relationship that's toxic and they um, are really magnetised to each other at the same time. They hate each other, they love each other, they can't leave, they want to leave, they want to hurt each other, they want to protect each other. It's It's a bizarre mix of everything that's good and bad in relationships almost. It's an intense love, actually, between George and Martha, which comes through at the end. And they so deeply need each other emotionally, you can't imagine they will ever separate or ever go their own ways because yeah, they right. need that with each other. It's, it's, it's weird, it's wonderful, it's incredible, an incredible piece of writing, actually, mm. from Edward Albee. Good on you, Edward. Mm. Um, now I'm, I one now need to read it and potentially need to see it or do it or something. It's a love story, it's a family drama, and for some reason it just never went out of style. It's knowing what they want of me that scares me. It's knowing having followed, I must leave. It's knowing that each person there compares me to those in my past whom I now succeed but how can whatever I do for them now be enough be enough Instead of this ragged concoction of thread But may you be moved by its desperate beauty To give us new life For we'd rather be dead than live In the squalor and shame of the slave To the dance, to the dance
things are wise And I must be on my fulfillment But they won't hear a word of my fantasy signs I'm moving past my boy on impossible to you see It's clear that a boy can rekindle a You're backstage with Mel and Mike on Free FM and your favourite podcasting streaming app, if that's your want. And that was a song called Dance of the Robe from our musical of the week, which is Aida. And before we go any further and get into that story, let's drag out the calendars and our crayons and take note of what's happening around the place soonish. At the Meteor, Beds, Beds, Beds has just opened. That's on right now at the Meteor, uh, directed by John O'Free, being on until the 23rd of July. And Assassins is in rehearsal. That's presented by Bold Theatre. That hits the stage in August. Clarence Street Theatre has Fame Junior, presented by Bravo Theatre Company, going to stage in September. Riverley Theatre has uh, Hamilton Musical Theatre in rehearsal for Mamma Mia, going to stage in October. And they're also in rehearsal for the Riverley Theatre annual Christmas show, Back to the 80s, that opens in November. Navarra Lounge, open mic night tonight, and every Wednesday, as Ivan often says, uh, demand for space in the open mic nights these days is pretty tight, so mm-hmm. you've got to, got to get in nice and early if you want your little 10-minute spot. 80s Forever, round three, is happening Friday, and Latin Dance Night coming up this Sunday. At Te Aroha Little Theatre, they're in rehearsal for Death and Taxes by our friend April Phillips. That's going to stage in September as well. Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, a staged reading of The Winslow Boy. Haven't seen that in years. That's uh, the, the play by Terence Radigan. That's happening July 24th. The Patarudu Theatre Players are in rehearsal for their play Exit Laughing by Paul Elliott. That goes to stage in August. Spamalot in Rotorua from Rotorua Musical Theatre, directed by Alistair Hay, hitting the stage next month. Over in Tauranga, Tauranga Musical Theatre are in rehearsal for Les Mis that goes to stage in September. At the 16th Avenue Theatre is Neighbourhood Watch by Alan Ackbourne. That's on right now until July 24th. And at the Detour Theatre, they're in rehearsal for Sherlock Holmes' The Adventure of the Speckled Band on stage in September. On a Faro Society of Performing Arts in rehearsal for The Jailhouse Frocks by Devin Williamson. That's due to hit the stage in September. And up in Auckland for Auckland Theatre Company, they are presenting their Here and Now Festival, formerly known as Young and Hungry. That's on this month at the basement. The shows are Young and Yang by Sherry Zhang and Nuanzi Zhang and Fleshies 2.0 presented in collaboration with The Oddballs. Now switch over to upcoming auditions and opportunities. Auditions for the Gaslight Theatre's upcoming season of Aladdin the Pantomime are on July 24th. In Motown, Morrinsville, auditions for Morrinsville Theatre's uh, November season of MTI's concert production of All Together Now have been announced for August the 1st. Email morrinsvilletheatrenz at hotmail.com if you'd like an audition slot. Auditions for Tauranga Musical Theatre's season of All Together Now also in November. They're coming up shortly. At Riverley Theatre, auditions are coming up in September for Hamilton Musical Theatre's summer Broadway junior season of Beauty and the Beast Junior. Watch the space, we'll tell you more about that. And auditions for Riverley Theatre's November season of All Together Now, in conjunction with all the others that are happening around the place, due to be held at the John Gallagher Concert Chamber. Those auditions will be taking place on August the 14th. The Potato Theatre players are auditioning for their Christmas production, Moon 
been shown, you can check out their Facebook page for more information. As always, please get in touch if you would like to add something to that list or correct something we may not have right. That mm. could happen. Mm-hmm. Email backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook, Instagram or whatever. Or if you see us at the theatre, tap us on the shoulder and be like, hey, there's this thing coming up you should know about. <laughs> Speaking of being at the theatre, have you caught anything worth talking about? Well, tomorrow, actually, I'm taking my grandson to go and see Beards, Beards, Beards. Oh, excellent. That'll be really cool. Yeah, I'll be going to catch uh, that. And uh, last Sunday, went to the matinee performance of 16th Avenue Theatre in uh, Tauranga with their Neighbourhood Watch. Perfect. Out of the play. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. I love that little theatre anyway. Yeah. Last went to it like about... 30-odd years ago, and uh, only got re-exposed to it when I was involved in Sweeney Todd. Sure. And it's a really great performance space. The, yeah, the, is the, yeah, great sight lines for the audience, yeah. nice performing stage, uh, it's elevated, uh, and the, the play sits on that stage really well. They've done a very good job of it. Oh, good. So, you know, keeping the standards I up. I like that Toronto, phrase, sits on that good. stage very well. Otherwise, no, I haven't actually caught a heck of a lot, because now starting to ramp up the rehearsal time for Assassin, so that's yep. taking me out of the loop a bit. Yeah, what about yeah. yourself? Um, I've, I've been a bit quiet, you know, keeping myself sort of quietly busy at home, but I did manage to catch All I See, uh, which is Sian Parker's latest devised work with Laura Hohe, uh at the Meteor last week. And mm-hmm. it is a really good example of how much can be done with very little and just some strong performers. It's really pretty and beautiful and sad and moving and funny and I don't usually go in for that physical devised almost dance theatre thing Uh, but they did it really well and it was probably my favourite of the works that that group have done yeah it's good to hear yeah it's definitely worth catching it's been in Auckland it's been in Wellington uh, it's been here now catch it if you can yeah, it's, it's been saying. well received everywhere. It's kind of had very similar comments from um, all the other venues that it's already played at. So, yep. yeah. Okay. Okay, now tell me how uh, Assassin's rehearsal's going. Well, as I said, uh, you know, we're ramping it up from this week, actually. We start rehearsing four days a week. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of scary to think that now, six weeks' time, we're you know getting ready for opening night. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, but I kind of like the idea of doing a musical in a relatively short time frame. We've you know only, the music already now, or now, don't you? Yeah, we? we've had had a good amount of time on that. And uh, Monday this week was our first time through the whole production, sitting doing basically, uh, you know, sit and sing and read through. Yeah. And it was just really cool to hear everything in context and, mm-hmm. and marvelous talent that we've got around us with each other and how we're supporting each other through the um, ensemble numbers too. Some really clever of music very very difficult to get your head around it initially but when you hear it start to like a lot of Sondheim stuff when you hear it start to sort of fit in place it works really well once you get into the rhythm of it eh? yeah what I can't wait for now is to uh, really get our teeth into the blocking of it and see how uh, Kyle Chuan's going to stage it what the set's going to be like all that sort of stuff that'll become apparent to us by the end of this week so yeah we're um, we're now getting you know into full gear with it and really exciting to, to get it moving certainly created quite a bit of interest with our social media um, marketing so far. A lot of yeah, people are saying, wow, that looks cool. really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm doing the profile pictures. And I was just about to say, oh, can't wait to see it. But um, <laughs> I'll be backstage with you. So we... Yeah, you'll be peeking from the wings though, won't you? I will be peeking from the... <laughs> Dick, try and stop me. Um, but I can't wait for the community to experience it Absolutely, yeah.
wildest dreams Toward some great triumphant end We seize the day, we turn the tide We touch the stars, we mark the grave We move into uncharted lands Fortune favors the brave The more we find, the more we see The more we come to learn to have it all We are what we want to be It's in ourselves to rise or fall This is easy to believe When distant places call to me It's harder from the palace yard Fortune favors the free Fortune favours the brave from Musical of the Week, Aida. Love Adam Pascal's voice, actually. It really takes me back to a time in my early theatre nerd days. You're backstage with Mel and Mike, and we've been jam-packed with the goods this week, and we're not letting up now. No, we started the way we mean to carry on with all the good stuff. Uh, Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida is on the menu today, and you mentioned earlier, Mel, that it used to be one of your favourites, but has it gone off the boil for you now? Not so much? You want to enlarge on that? Uh, yeah, um... I mean, it's beautiful, and there's no denying that. Like I said, I discovered this in my early theatre nerd days, so I was discovering Rent in the last five years and Spring Awakening and Wicked, and Aida at the time really just fit into that category of epic musical, interesting love story, good music, and it sort of just you know, fit alongside um, what I was really into at the time. Something else and John and Tim Rice also do really well is musically capture the feeling they want the show to have. You know, like The Lion King sounds very tribal and African and there's no denying the soul journey that they want to take you on. Mm. Aida sounds and feels ancient Egyptian, which is half of the job done when you're writing a musical. So I guess it's not so much that it's not a favourite now, it's just more that my preferences have left me in, led me in a different direction. Fair enough. Um, though I am enjoying listening to it today. That's neat. Yeah. I'm pleased about that. little walk down memory lane. Very fitting that they are able to evoke that Egyptian feeling, though, because that's the nature of the original opera, of course, that is set in Egypt. Yeah. Also interesting that uh, Elton John is often at his best when he's got a really good lyricist working with him. You know, Bernie Taupin and he wrote some amazing songs together. Yeah. Somebody like Tim Rice actually doing the words, um, I think, inspires Elton to just take the music to another level. They obviously work really well together. Yeah, they do. All right, well, that's enough of a prelude for it. So what I want you to do now is give us uh, the great honour of delivering the goods, so to speak. Aida. Well, and the goods I can deliver. There are plenty of them on their way to you right now <laughs> I don't know where I was going oh, with the that anticipation is palpable <laughs> Aida is a musical based on the opera as we've mentioned of the same name written by oh, I'm going to get this wrong Antonio Gislanzoni with music by Giuseppe Verdi actually most people just think of it as a Verdi opera but you're right the uh, the story came from Antonio thing <laughs> <laughs> which nobody can ever pronounce properly <laughs> um, so Aida the Musical's music is obviously written by Elton John with lyrics by Tim Rice and book by Linda Wolverton nobody talks about Linda Wolverton do they mm. um, well it's actually by Linda Wolverton Robert Falls and David Henry Huang I've heard of him 
um, yeah, he did a couple of rewrites later on. Uh, it was originally produced by Walt Disney Theatrical. Aida premiered on Broadway on March 23rd of 2000 and ran for 1,852 performances until September 5th of 2004. It was nominated for five Tony Awards and won four, including Best Original Score. It was also named by Time as one of the top ten theatre productions of that year. The musical originated from a children's storybook version of Verdi's opera, written by the soprano Leontine Price. In 1994, the book rights were acquired by the Walt Disney Company for a proposed animated feature film. However, Elton John chose not to pursue another animated project after The Lion King, so Disney executives suggested a Broadway adaptation instead. Despite his opinion that opera can be very elitist, Elton John, along with Tim Rice, immediately signed on. So, the show opens on the Egyptian wing of a major museum. Contemporary museum goers are admiring artifacts of a long time ago. The crowd is gathered around the most mysterious of the objects, uh, an ancient burial chamber. Soon, two of the visitors, a man and a woman, begin to move towards the burial chamber and each other as if they know its secrets or as if they have seen it somewhere before. The man is Radames and the woman Aida. Their eyes meet as the powerful voice of the princess Amneris explains that every story is a love story. Neat. Yeah, it does sound really cool already, mm. right? Uh, sails fly in as handsome Egyptian soldiers are discovered loading the riches and spoils of war onto the deck of their ship. They celebrate their courage along with their captain, Radames. Their celebration is interrupted by the entrance of the enchanting Princess Aida and her handmaidens as they are forced onto the ship. They have been captured as slaves. As Aida is put into shackles, she snatches a soldier's sword to challenge Radames. Radames, not knowing that she is a princess, recognises something special in Aida and begins to give to his feelings for her under the guise of seeing her as potentially dangerous. Radames escorts Aida to his personal berth in the ship's lower quarters. Once there, Radames removes the manacles from Aida and boastfully gives her instructions in her new role as his slave. Aida, once again demonstrating herself as a free thinker, rejects Radames' perspective of war, reminding him that the Egyptians invaded her Nubian homeland, robbing her people of their culture. Aida reveals a longing for her life of freedom as she contemplates her past and the past of her people. Soon, much to her dismay, Aida finds herself in Egypt as the ship docks and the slaves are unloaded. There, Radames is greeted by Merib, his young servant, and Zosa, his father, who also happens to be the chief minister. Zosa suggests that the women be sent to the deadly copper mines. Radames, recalling his feelings for Aida, has another idea. The women's deaths will be spared by using them in the harvest with a special assignment for Aida. She will be a gift for the princess of Egypt, Amneris. As Merib takes Aida to the princess, Zosa explains that the pharaoh's serious illness will force Radames to marry Princess Amneris sooner than he had planned, making Radames the king of Egypt. Are you keeping up with me? I am. Yeah, you're there. It's complex, but I like it. Yeah, I like it too. So meanwhile, Merib admits to Aida that he recognises her as the Nubian princess and they form a bond as she begs him to keep her secret. They both concede that if the Egyptians were to discover her real identity, she would be put to death. Merib also informs Aida that the princess Amneris is the betrothed of Radames. They are to be married. <laughs> then we meet the self-consumed Princess Amneris as she finishes her daily swim and beauty treatment uh, while complaining that her future husband has yet to visit her. To soften her mood, uh, Merib presents Aida to Amneris as a gift from Radames. At first, Amneris just dismisses Aida as another handmaiden, but Aida's quick thinking and regal manner allows Amneris to reconsider. 
Next, the pharaoh's private banquet room is ablaze with activity. Radame is beginning to show his feelings for Aida, questions Merib about the Nubian princess, just as Princess Amneris enters to greet him. To her horror, Aida, while serving the banquet, (laughs) discovers that all of the Nubian slaves have heard of her arrival into Egypt. The pharaoh enters to announce that Radames will never leave the soil of Egypt again, because in seven days he will be wed to the princess Amneris. Zosa questions Radames about his apparent unhappiness with the announcement of the pharaoh. Radames explains that what he loves most is journeying to new places, and that his marriage to Amneris will end his journeying forever. After his father leaves, Radames, in a tender moment of unspoken love, calls Aida from the shadows, and they discuss the joy they both find in making new discoveries. Later, Radames discovers Aida at the Nile's edge washing linen. He offers to make her life easier by elevating her, her position at the palace. Staying true to her people, Aida refuses his offer, stating that she cannot continue to live in the comfort of the palace while my countrymen are dying. Aida's words have truly moved Radames. In fact, her love of her people has changed his values forever. Radames confesses his love for Aida to Merib, while a confused Amneris sees this change in Radames as his deepening affection for her. Wow. Intermission. Yeah, pretty much. So that's all happening in Act 1. That's all happening in Act 1. Oh, and we end Act 1 with uh, the audience and Aida receiving the news that the Nubian king, her dad, has been captured. Oh, Sorry, I jumped in too soon to say intermission then. Just but that's a dramatic note to finish Act 1 That's on. the dramatic note to finish mm. Act 1 on. Essentially, Act 2 is all of the res- resolving. Throughout Act 2, Amneris, Radames and Aida are entangled in their conflicted loyalties and emotions. Amneris is afraid that Radames' affection for her is waning. Radames is worried that his love for Aida could end his life as he knows it. And Aida fears that she might be a traitor to her people for loving Radames. So it's this big... Mm. It's a love triangle but there's a lot riding on it. To save her father and her nation, Aida must betray the man she loves. Meanwhile, Zosa discovers Radames's affair and warns his son that it could cost him the throne, but Radames no longer shares his father's ambitions. After an emotional bout with his son, Zosa orders his men to find Aida and kill her. Aida finds Radames as he walks the Nile. He tells her that he plans to call off the wedding, but Aida, realizing that his plan will jeopardize her father's escape, begs him to reconsider. Aida explains that she and Radames can never have a life together, and Radames finally accepts this. He tells her that during his wedding, he will arrange for her safe passage to Nubia. As the lovers depart, Amneris emerges from the shadows. She has seen everything. <laughs> as, as she is dressed by her four handmaidens for her wedding, she admits that she is not the true love of Radames. The wedding is interrupted, as expected, by the announcement that the Nubian king has escaped. A boat floats at the water's edge tied to the dock. Merib helps King Amon Amonasro into the boat, knowing that the Egyptians have sounded the alarm. Radames enters and accuses Aida of pretending to love him to escape with her father, the king. As Aida explains that she truly loves Radames, a fight erupts in which Merib is killed by Zosa. Radames, in a move to save Nubia, cuts the rope, allowing King Amonasro to be swept away to his kingdom with the fast current of the Nile. Aida is left behind with Merib's dead body in her arms as Radames comforts her. Radames and Aida appear in chains before Amneris. Amneris begs Radames to reject Aida in order to save himself, but he confesses that Aida's courage and, and her love for her people have put me to shame, he says. The pharaoh enters, announces that Zosa has been apprehended, and sentences Radames and Aida to death. 
the princess convinces the pharaoh to allow her descendants Radames and Ada to be buried beneath the sands of Egypt in one tomb together. Amneris runs off, unable to watch Aida and Radames as they are led to their death. Aida and Radames contemplate their lives and how they are to leave this life. Once in the tomb together, they promise to find each other if they have to search for a hundred lifetimes. Uh, and then we finally return to our own time into the museum. Uh, once again, the contemporary crowd gathers around various exhibits and the man and the woman from the beginning of the show circle the model of the tomb and they, their eyes meet. Oh my gosh, I'd almost forgotten that this started in the here and now. Yeah. Wow. What a story, right? What a story. Takes you everywhere. Yeah. I have to say, it's pr- I'm, I'm pretty captivated mm. by it. Aida was originally conceived for production, as I've mentioned, uh, as an animated film by Disney executives who wanted to do another project with the collaborative team that did The Lion King because they enjoyed big, big, big success. It was Elton John's idea to develop the story directly as a musical, and the first reading was presented to Disney executives in 1996. It took two and a half years from there, from the first reading to the first full production presentation in September of 98 in Atlanta. One of the many issues apparently was what to call the musical. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose because I couldn't just say Aida. Couldn't just be called Aida? Yeah. So originally... uh, Elaborate Lives, The Legend of Aida had its world premiere at the Alliance Theatre in Atlanta, Georgia where it ran from September to November of 98. That production conceived of the play with a nearly empty set displaying only a, get this six ton gold pyramid shaped set piece in the centre. <laughs> uh, it was driven by hydraulic controls. The pyramid's sides and bottom could be turned and rotated to suggest various locations. However, the piece constructed at a price of nearly $10 million uh, frequently broke down and a new production designer was hired for restaging in Chicago 1999. The musical now titled Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida premiered on Broadway in March of 2000 and closed in September of 2004 after, as I mentioned earlier, 30 previews and 1,800-odd performances. The run puts it at the 39th longest running in Broadway history. It's pretty amazing figures, aren't they? Like a, a show like that, amazingly successful, four years on stage, is still only 39th in the rankings of long-running shows. Yeah, because there are big shows yeah, doing some big, big seasons. That's a pretty good innings, though. Or, you know, 1,800-odd performances, that's cool. That's a great innings for a little musical. Mm. Well, it probably wasn't too little, but, you know. No, and I was going to say earlier, you know, kudos to uh, Disney executives for actually understanding that this could work as a, as a major musical. Mm. And obviously, dealing with big things, they still felt that it was worth putting the, putting the bucks in behind it to make it work. Yeah. yeah and it paid off, obviously. Obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Heather Headley originated the title role of Aida and won both the Tony Award and the Drama Desk Award for Best Actress in a Musical in 2000 for her performance. Adam Pascal played the role of Radames in both the original Broadway cast and the closing productions of Aida on Broadway. And Cherie Renee Scott, who was with the project since its very first workshop, originated the role of Amneris and was named Most Promising Actress in 2000 for her performance. Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida had a critically acclaimed U.S. national tour from 2001 to 2003. That production received eight nominations and won five awards in 2002, including Best Musical, Best Actress and Best Actor from the National Broadway Theatre Awards, now apparently called the Touring Broadway Awards. Uh, the first international production of Aida ran in the Netherlands. The show ran from October of 2001 to August of 2003 and was performed in Dutch. It's an interesting choice. Isn't it, Jess? Mm. 
There have also been productions of Aida in Germany, Switzerland, Japan, South Korea, Uruguay, Poland, Singapore, Australia, Philippines, Mexico, Croatia, Peru, Argentina, Estonia, Canada, Hungary. Well, there's a lot more countries than I expected. Um, (laughs) Brazil, Sweden, Denmark, China, Israel and the Czech Republic. According to Wikipedia, (laughs) I thought this was a particularly interesting and fun fact, because I would just like to know who put it there. Aida (laughs) was premiered in New Zealand at the St. Peter's School in Cambridge of May 2012. Oh, somebody associated (laughs) with the production was pretty proud of that, obviously. That's cool. Uh, And the original Japanese production has just reopened and is currently playing in Osaka, Japan. Wow. Aida has been translated into 16 languages. Covering most of those countries. Yeah, I won't won't list them all again. Aida has never been staged professionally in London or elsewhere in the UK actually Now isn't that another odd one? You'd think it would have I think that is quite odd, yeah because the UK is home to both its composer and its lyricist and has been available in the UK for amateur licensing since 2011 Uh, but its first major performance in the UK was in March 2013 at the ADC Theatre by the Cambridge University Musical Theatre Society Wow. So there's never been a big professional Never been on West End no, yeah. isn't that interesting? It is really interesting because you'd assume you would assume like with all these things that that's the next you think it would next do logical step after Broadway. Think, is you think it would do quite end. well in the UK, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. But, and I mean, I could keep going on and on and on and on because there is there is so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could. Uh, there is obviously a, a ton of backstories involved in all of this yeah, too. There is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of history to how everything got off the ground as well but i'll leave it go and f- discover aida for yourself now <laughs> that was brilliant i love it um i'm really uh, captivated by the story i think yeah. it's one of those classic as you say classic love triangle history period piece that is going to appeal no matter what yeah and the music that we're hearing today just is, uh, is, is vintage stuff from elton john and um tim rice it's, it's captivating it's interesting it's yep. the kind of stuff that makes you think it's telling a story and it's evoking a time yep. and like i said before you know just even relating the historical side of the story makes you forget that uh, oh we're back in the 20th 21st century yeah uh, the here and now i think that's what really compels me to the story i love that the story that will do that age. Yeah. yeah, well done. And we're at just about at that time of the day again, aren't we? Hmm? We are just about there. I feel like we've been through a lot today. <laughs> I feel like we've been through a lot pretty, in particular Pretty today. weighty stuff, which is neat. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, now you've got some shows, some new theatre to yeah. digest in your souls. Consider this your last reminder for today to please get in touch with Creative Waikato if you or your arts project could use their assistance. And don't forget to catch us backstage wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a whole bunch of others. Also invite you to head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ. That's where Mel will be sharing today's episode very shortly, plus our musical of the week on our story. I've been Mike, she's been Mel, and you've been Backstage. We are leaving you today with the fine track, Elaborate Lives, from Musical of the Week, Aida. Stay classy, theatre nerds. See you. Such elaborate lives Wild ambitions In the sights 
How an affair of the heart survives days apart and hurried nights seems quite unbelievable to me. I don't want to live like that. Seems quite unbelievable to me. Yeah, I don't wanna love like that. I just want our time to be slower and gentler, wiser. Extravagant times, playing games we can't all win. Unintended emotional crimes take some out, take others in. I'm so tired of all we're going through. I don't want to live like that. I'm so tired of all we're going through. I don't wanna love like that. I just wanna be with you now and forever, peaceful, true. This may not be the moment to tell you face to face, but I could wait forever for the perfect time and place. We all need such a lovely
Barefoot lands a child for dance Into one more taste of freedom One more longing backward glance In the swing of somber music I shall never, never understand Let me slip into the sweeter Chorus of the land. The cats love Nubia, the beautiful, the golden, the radiant, the fertile, the gentle, and the blessed. The pain of Nubia is only of the moment. The desolate, the suffering, the plunder, the oppressed. The gods love Nubia, their glorious creation. The songs roll sweetly across the harvest plain. The tears of Nubia, a passing apparition. They wash into the river and they never cried again. The gods of Nubia, we have to keep believing. The scattered and divided, we, we are still in
episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.